Hello and welcome to the Blue Collar Yields podcast. I am your host, Tom Migliaccio. At Blue Collar Yields, we will talk about real estate, entrepreneurialism, and many other topics. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts. And while there, don't forget to rate this show and subscribe. Our next guest is Mike Regina. To identify Mike as one thing is nearly impossible. My first encounter with Mike was at an event where I heard him deliver a riveting motivational speech. After I went on LinkedIn, I was shocked to see all the other work he did. Mike and his brother Ryan founded a construction management company, Big Sky Enterprise, in 2003, with only a dream and $5,000. Today, the dream is real, and Big Sky guides its healthcare commercial, and nonprofit clients through the construction process. In addition to Big Sky, Mike is also the co-founder of Global Post Auditing Solutions, where they provide post-audit services for transportation companies. Mike's company corrects billing errors, identify cost reduction opportunities, and much more. On top of both of those companies, Mike also started a motivational speaking platform. Mike's philosophy is commit, create, and connect. Commit to execute, create to disrupt, and connect to expand. Mike, thanks for being on the podcast today. We really appreciate you being here. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So let's dive into it. Having your own construction firm in 2003, could you tell us more about your very first experience in the construction industry? So I've been fortunate enough to actually grow up in the industry. My father actually started in the 70s doing construction himself. So he started out in concrete, and then he went into doing custom homes, condominium developments, to also owning and leasing mid-rise office buildings in the South Jersey area. And then early 90s, the market had changed. It tanked, a little bit of a recession hit, and he went back into concrete, which is actually where he started. So it was that summer after my senior year in high school that we started working in the concrete business. So my dad, very, you know, old school Italian, a great guy, great teacher. Basically, his number one mission is to make sure that someone quits before coffee breaks. But myself and my brother, there was just no way that was happening. So we went from boys to men in about two hours. And that's really where we started hands-on in the construction industry. So we did concrete all throughout college in the summers, and then after I graduated college, began doing basically what we're doing today, the design development or turnkey development, build the suit, whatever way you want to look at it. So just to clarify, you and your brother Ryan were actually the guys in the trenches mixing the concrete and pouring it. We did everything. We started at the bottom. We actually started below the bottom. So... We were laborers first, wheelbarrowing concrete from the street to the backyard. We learned every aspect of construction and did everything. There was nothing that we didn't do. Swinging picks, digging footings by hand in clay, getting tons of blisters on our hands. Whatever it took to get the job done, it was getting done. What lessons, both work and in life, did you take away from that experience? 
my father just by trade or by education was a teacher and he was also a coach. He was a coach in basketball, a coach in football. So our dad always spent so much time teaching us in every aspect of just life and business. And I'm just so thankful because that's really what was kind of the foundation for my brother and I in business. I'll give you actually a bunch of points. I think of, you know, what our dad taught us and the lessons that we learned. So be punctual, always early, never on time, never late, never, you know what I mean? Always about being punctual, hard work, working smart, leading by example, being a sponge. I think it's so critical that, you know, we just understand that there are people that know a lot more about things that we don't know. So just take it in, be a great listener. We have two ears, one mouth. So take in and be a sponge and learn as much as you can. And then one of the most important things is smelling the roses along the way. So our dad said, look, we're going to work hard, but we're going to play hard. So those are some of the life lessons that he ingrained in us that we still carry on today. That's really funny. And shout out to Ken Donick, because I just got done an interview with him. Mr. Donick and Mr. Regina, it sounds like they're cut from the same cloth, which is very funny because they're two successful gentlemen that I've interviewed, and their fathers definitely sound like they played a big part in that, which is awesome to hear. So how did you and Ryan come to the decision that it was time to start your own company? Like, as I shared, we grew up in the family business, I guess you could say. And as my brother and I got older in our mid and late 20s, you know, we started building a network. So we actually got our first opportunity to be able to put a project together. So we said, hey, dad, look, we got an opportunity. There is a auditorium that's looking to be converted into a gymnasium. This is from our network. He said, look, guys, why don't you guys go and put all the numbers together, come back to me, and then we'll sit down and go over and see what the numbers are and what makes sense. So we said, great. So we put all the numbers together, came back to him, sat down, and he's like, guys, this is about $40,000 short. And we're like, no, 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 this is perfect. This is great. We know that, you know, this is the number and this is for a Christian school and we're super excited. We think this is great. And he goes, look, our dad, very much a thinker, loves to just, you know, walk away from a conversation, analyze it, comes back and says, guys, here's what we're going to do. You guys are young. I've taught you everything you need to know. You're going to go start your own company. I'd rather you figure out and make all your mistakes now instead of when you're 50, I pass away and you're trying to figure this out. So he says, look, you go and pursue this. If you get it, great. If not, you'll figure it out. We went. We ended up pursuing it. We got the deal. And then the rest was history and Big Sky was formed. So being an entrepreneur is obviously a challenging journey. Can you recount a time in the beginning when you overcame an obstacle that might have seemed insurmountable at the time? So this is going to sound arrogant, but it's not at all. Actually, it's just because we believed in who we are, our services, our abilities, and our talents. We were gung-ho. We didn't even flinch in terms of starting the company. There wasn't anything that we felt that we couldn't overcome or obstacles. The reality is, is actually I had literally a 12-month-old and a three-week-old when I started Big Sky. So we had 
literally nothing and pretty much as much pressure as you can have on one person's shoulders. And I told my wife that, hey, you're staying home. So we really hyper-focused on, we downsized everything. We sold the house. We sold the car. We made a decision that the most important thing is for my wife to be home, raising the kids, and I'm going to go work and basically bring home the bacon. And we've created a great team together over the years. So I say that just to say, too, also encourage people that the best time to start a company is right now. Don't ever make excuses that you need to have this, that, and this in line. You just go do it. If you believe that what you have is the ultimate solution and you believe that it is better than anyone else, you go. How did you deal with the mounting pressure of having a wife and two young children at home and you and your brother starting a company? What was an outlet for you? It just really boils down to our faith. Just believing God, that God was our provider. And, you know, we're going to do everything we can in our power to get it right and to work, make the money and develop revenue. But I mean, at the end of the day, God was responsible for, you know, closing those deals. So we pray as though everything relies on God and we work as though as everything relies on us. Having founded Big Sky in 2003, your company probably enjoyed some really strong years until the recession hit. Could you tell us how it was operating a construction company? through the Great Recession, and how your company emerged stronger? We emerged stronger because the reality is, is that we couldn't get any weaker. <laughs> we literally were at the bottom, and 09 was a complete disaster for us from a revenue standpoint, okay? But a tremendous opportunity for us to build and incorporate processes. So at that point, we hired a biz coach who brought in systems and helped us build our company on paper. So moving forward, we're just plugging and playing in terms of the people that we bring on. The crazy thing in 09 was that we actually only had one client, and they weren't even a client. They were someone that we were working with, and they just didn't align with our beliefs, didn't appreciate our services. So we actually let them go. And we had nothing. We had literally one month left until every dollar in our line of credit was depleted. So we said, hey, we can't work with these types of people. We got to go and focus on those that understand, again, align with our beliefs and then also appreciate our services. Fast forward two weeks after we made that decision, we land two shovel-ready jobs out of nowhere. It was crazy. One was a church and another was a healthcare facility. So, boom, here we go. We come out of it. And now since we kind of built our foundation of our company in terms of on paper, we started plugging and playing and hiring people. And then once we made those hires, I mean, by the grace of God, we just started taking off and just started experiencing our best years yet. So when things get slow, it's time to grow internally. So just to clarify, this is what I've heard from what you said. It's 09, you're struggling, and you actually bring someone on and then essentially fire your only client. Is that correct? That is correct. How crazy is that you had the foresight to go and dump someone, and then I guess your faith led you to believe that 
greater things were coming, which they did, which probably reinstilled everything for you, which was great to hear. One of the things that we identify or one of the things that we want to be to our client is a full solution. So that includes everything because we want to make sure that they have the ability to focus all of their attention on building their organization while we manage and execute the development side, the financing side, and the construction side. So as you can imagine, one of the biggest challenges with any construction project is financing. So one of the things that we learned when we were working with our dad was financing procurement. So we work with them. We have relationships with multiple lending institutions. So we put together all the package for them and then submit them and basically have banks compete to get them the best rate and the best terms possible. So that also allows us to also be able to even get the job, right? Because the reality is, is that when we do the development portion of it and then also the financing, that's not a real moneymaker for us. That's more of like a cash flow thing. We don't really make any of the money until the construction part is. So we found that it's important to be able to go and get that financing so the project does happen and not just stay a dream. So looking on Big Sky's site, you can see that Mike's company offers a full range of service from general contractor to design build. One of those offerings that caught my eye was the financial procurement. Could you walk us through how you assisted your clients on the financing side of the project? Our typical clients for global post auditing solutions are Fortune 500 companies. So that's really our bulk, but we also have Fortune 100, Fortune 2000, but the bulk of our clients are Fortune 500. What we do in terms of bringing value is we're actually in the good news business. I love sharing that. Like they can't lose. So everything that we do is on a gain share model. So we come in and help them identify payment errors, duplicate payments on their payments to their carriers. So whatever we identify, we go and recover, and then whatever we recover, we split based on that gain share percentage. As I said, if we don't find anything, it doesn't cost them anything. So what also sets us apart is a few things. One, we're the only organization or company in the industry that finds and fixes their errors. So we go and maximize their recovery, but while doing that, we also help fix their error patterns, right? So basically what we're doing is we're working ourselves out of a job. Right, because you're teaching them how to fix this error going forward. Exactly. So, you know, to me, business is a solution to a client. I want to make sure that what we're doing in is we're coming and we're delivering the most value possible and making sure that we leave them better than when we came in. And that means, hey, guess what? Within a year, based on after all of our things that we help them navigate through and fix in terms of their processes, whether it be with carriers, invoicing, or their payment companies, we want to make sure that going forward that they're not going to have the same amount of errors that they did before. And then in addition to that, we want to make sure that there's always full transparency and they have the ability to be able to make the adjustments necessary. And we're the only ones in the industry that provide a real-time reporting and analytics dashboard so they can see all their errors, all the payments that have been recovered, their percentages and whatnot, all on a dashboard setting. Another amazing value add by Mike Regina and company, but auditing transportation payment seems like a different animal than construction management. How did you make the leap into this field? It's definitely the complete opposite for sure. 
to me, business is business, right? The, the foundations are the same. The services are different. So the approach is the same on how you go about it. Now, what ended up happening was actually one of my best friend's wife had been in the industry for about 10 years and called me up and said, hey, Mike, you know what? I'm not happy where I'm at. I want to go start my own company. Would you mind coaching me? And I'm like, Steph, absolutely. We'd be happy to. So I'm coaching her for like a month. And then after a month, I said, hey, Steph, you know what? I said, you have a network. We have a network. You want to post audit. We want to build a company. Why don't we do this together? I said, do you want 100% of 100 grand? Or do you want 50% of a million? That wasn't necessarily the percentages that we came up with. So we ended up starting global and we figured it would take about six to nine months to get a deal. We ended up getting our first client within two weeks and then another and another and another. And now we're completely disrupting the market, a leader in it, and just doing what no one else is doing, kind of creating that blue ocean strategy within our industry. We're going to jump into yet another line of business that, Mike, you recently launched, a new business that focuses on motivational speeches. How did you get started with these speeches? So I've been doing public speaking for many years now. I absolutely love it. I enjoy it. I love people, and I just love helping them get outside of their comfort zone, think differently, and then help them provide a roadmap to execute. I mean, to me, I feel like a lot of times when I said earlier, like people, what's their biggest challenge when starting a company? It's them. They're the ones that always get in the way. So I want them to break out of that and to embrace change, embrace failure. So I just love speaking on some of those topics. And having been in business for many years, I love to just not only have the topics that I speak on, but I enjoy freestyling where I ask the, you know, the crowd, hey, what is it that you guys want to walk out with? And then talk about those topics as well. And you touched on this. One of your theme involves helping people get comfortable with being uncomfortable. How do you get others to get outside of their comfort zones and execute? You know, at the end of the day, it's just, do you believe in yourself? You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that the talents and gifts and services that you're going to provide are going to be better than anyone else provides. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone out there is going to work with you because you don't want to work for just anyone. You want to work for those that are in alignment with your culture, that appreciate you, and vice versa. So that, to me, is the important thing, is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, going and rebranding yourself you know, on a daily basis, trying to figure out how do you set yourself apart. And those types of things require for you to be uncomfortable. So there's that old saying, in order to get things that you've never had, you have to go and do things that you've never done. Yeah, that hits a hammer right on the head. And, you know, staying on this, when did you realize that there was a market for motivational speaking? For the past probably like three, four years, people were like, Mike, you need to go make this a business. You need to go, you know, take this globally. And I just didn't have time, right? Between family, multiple businesses, we had just started global and doing some other things as well. It was just not the timing was right. So last year, and I think it was in September, October, a friend of mine comes up to me and says, hey, Mike, I want you to speak at a national conference down in Virginia. 
he's like, can you send me over your speaker kit? And I'm like, uh, I don't have a speaker kit. All of my speaking gigs that I've done to this date have just been through my network and people who know me and hear me speak and whatnot. So it was at that point where I said, you know what? This is real. And now I need to take it to the next level and make this an actual business. So I literally have spent the past nine months creating all the content, going out and doing speaking engagements, and just recently launched my website two weeks ago. So now it is on like Donkey Kong. Can you tell us the name of the website, Mike, so our people can find it? It's MikeRegina.io. Mike, for those that might be in a similar position that you were, where you're great at public speaking, but they haven't necessarily taken that step forward, can you break down exactly what a speaker kit is? Speaker kit, you know, also shares about, you know, who you are. It's your bio. It also touches on, you know, speaking topics. It also provides testimonials, references. So it's just really, who are you? What are you about? What do you speak on? What makes you different? So someone who's accomplished a lot, how do you make sure that you're not settling into a comfort zone? How is Mike constantly trying to evolve and push himself? I think the big thing there is being someone who has ADHD, I get completely bored if I'm not changing. So I love change. I love different things. I love trying this, trying there, going here, going there. If someone said, hey, we're going to move over here tomorrow, you're like, no problem. Let's go. Because I enjoy it. I love the challenge. So I think that's the big thing is just, again, in order to get the things that you've never received, you have to go do things that you've never done. So that's what's so critical is just staying outside of your comfort zone. Look, the reality is, is physically, we can't build our bodies, right, unless we break down, right, our muscles. So when we start breaking down our muscles, we start getting bigger. And it's the same thing with business right? We need to get uncomfortable. It's not comfortable bench pressing, curling, doing squats, things of that nature. So you need to get uncomfortable in order to build upon that. I've actually heard Mike speak and he's totally awesome. That's actually, I hit him up on LinkedIn right after telling him how big of a fan I was. And he mentioned social capital. Mike, can you break down what social capital is? There's many things that embrace social capital and there really isn't like a universal term to what social capital is. But the reality is from a high level standpoint, it's your network. So it's all the people that you surround yourself with that I consider to be your social capital, right? It's just as important as financial capital, right? Social capital. So it's an asset and it not only impacts you professionally, but also personally as well. So when you really focus on increasing your social capital, that opens up doors for business, that opens up doors for relationships and experiences. Because of the social capital I've been able to gain over the many years, I've been able to do things that I never thought were possible. It's just been an amazing ride. How does Mike or how should someone monetize social capital? So it's funny. I've had this conversation with a lot of people. And when you talk about business, right, what do people say that they do business with? 
They typically say that we do business with people that we know, like, and trust. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. Okay, so know, like, and trust. I didn't hear anything in there that is specific to their services. Is that not incredible? So it is so important that you focus on social capital because obviously that's your foot in the door. Now, once you get your foot in the door, now you got to sell your services. But it's important to leverage your social capital in that way. So you monetize it through relationships, as I shared, which opens the door. Big Sky, our construction management company, is 100% referral-based. We don't just go and blind bid anything. Everything that we do is from an introduction or a relationship. Yeah, the speech that I heard you give was taking your network from zero to hero in one year. So when did you first start to realize the importance of networking? I've been networking literally my entire career, pretty much. Once we started Big Sky, that really changed how I go about and approach networking. But if I was actually even step back a little bit more and focus on the relationship, it goes back to college when I was in a fraternity and I was in charge of recruitment. So that was always driven on building relationships, you know, with other students to get them to come and be a part of our fraternity. So I saw back then the importance of social capital, having a network, the importance of being around people, building that relationship, getting them engaged. And then from there, you know, you're building something that you care about. Yeah. And I got to say this, Mike, when I first met you in person, I heard you speak. I hit you up on LinkedIn. And then Mike and I are part of the same networking group. It took me a half an hour just to talk to Mike because he was holding court. So many people want to be around him. And I went up to him. I told him I liked his speech. And he actually asked me what my takeaway from it, which I thought was awesome. It goes to show that you're listening and what I listen to. So you can tweak and focus, you know, what to focus on more. One of the things that I listened and you said was start your own networking dinner. Start your own group. Go out to dinner with people you know. You throw these, and I believe they're called strategic dinners, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you throw them in different cities around the country. So how did you start those, and what are the qualifications to be on the list? I created, like you said, is my own network. I feel that if someone really wants to maximize and build their business, to be the most efficient, most effective, you've got to create your own network. And the reason why I say that is because, honestly, for me, I wanted to help more people. So if I attend someone else's networking event and I meet three people, I can help three people. If I host an event, I help everyone, whether it be directly or indirectly, whether it be a strategic dinner or a large event. So I ended up starting these strategic dinners about three, four years ago. And I do them in Philadelphia, D.C., New York City, just kicked off Boston. And really the way that we do it is it's very casual, but it's very targeted and very strategic. So the qualifications that I have for my groups are you have to be connected nationally or internationally and a connector. It is that simple. It's industry agnostic. And the goal is, is that people that are sitting at the table, right, are sitting with people that they can grow their network, their business and whatnot. But most importantly, it provides an opportunity to help everyone rise with the tide. 
So once I really started doing that, I really started seeing the impact of having those targeted dinners and targeting networks and how my social capital started to grow. My opportunities with my different companies started to grow. So it can't be that shotgun approach. It's got to really be that rifle approach to really take your network to the next level. So you're in three cities right now. What markets are you looking to break into? This is going to be global. So next up is most likely LA. It seems that a lot of the people that are involved in these dinners have a great network in LA. And the reality is, is that if you have a group of like four or five people, you can really start a strategic dinner. And and what you do is you also leverage their relationships. So each person, let's just say each dinner, if you have five people that are your foundation and your start, they're responsible for bringing two people. But the people that they do invite have to meet those requirements. And if they meet those requirements, watch out, you know. Because it's also important that they do meet those requirements because the next time that they invite someone, you want to make sure that they invite someone that's at that same level too as well. So LA, Miami, Charlotte, Austin, San Francisco, Chicago, I have people talking London. So really at the end of the day, the sky's the limit. And one of the beauties of this is just, you know, having the global company, global post auditing, and then also my public speaking. I can really go anywhere. So right now we're going to move on to the lightning round questions. I think you kind of answered these, but what was your first job? What book are you reading now? And who's your favorite person to follow on Instagram? So actually my first job, I actually had my own car wash and detail company in high school. So my dad had, as I shared, he owned a couple of mid-rise office buildings. So I would literally run the halls and go into every office and ask everyone if they wanted their car washed or their car detailed. And I would just do that all day throughout the summer. And it was great. So I really learned entrepreneurship at that point and the meaning of hustling. So I was able to charge $10 per car for a car wash, which you would also get a tip. And then I could do two cars an hour. So if I could do two cars an hour, I was able to make anywhere between twenty to thirty dollars an hour cash. And then if I did detailing, I got paid a hundred bucks, and that would typically take me about four hours. So that was my first job. What book am I reading right now? I am reading Wooden on Leadership, and I always read my Bible. So the Bible is always going to be a constant, but in terms of books. Wooden on leadership, and that's what we're doing right now as kind of like within our company. We read a book, and we go through each chapter once a week, break down and go over what it is that we learned, how it impacts your position, how does it impact our clients, and what are we going to do in order to implement into our daily process, etc. Who is my favorite person to follow on Instagram? It's my wife. I love following my wife, right? It's the beauty aspect of it. And then if I'm looking on the humorous side for a little bit of fun and humor, John Chris. John Chris is absolutely hilarious. And I'm a huge golf fan. So Mike Bender. Love watching Mike Bender. His tips on golf are phenomenal. And then for the picturesque waves, which tie into my love for surfing, it's Surfline. 
Mike, thank you for coming and taking the time today. I can't tell you how much we really do appreciate it here. Where can people get in touch with you? Let's say they want to hire you to speak at an event. Where can they go and how can they reach you? For my speaking, for microgina.io, you can go on there. There are forms on there that you can fill out. Please, I would love to know more about what it is that you're looking to learn, to do, to impact, whether it be a sales team, operational team, a conference, workshop, whatever that may be. would love the opportunity to be able to speak to you guys. In addition, for anyone that's looking for construction management services, BigSkyLLC.com. You can go on there. Check us out. We would love to figure out how we can be of value to you and your company if you're looking to build new, relocate, or even do a renovation. And then for those that have great connections or contacts within the Fortune 500 space, go to globalpostauditing.com. We'd love the opportunity to be able to provide, again, those good news services. Right. And again, that's risk-free. It doesn't cost your company any money. If Mike doesn't uncover anything, right? Correct. All right. Thanks again, Mike. We really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If there are more topics you would like to hear about, you can email us at info at bluecollaryields.com. For more episodes, you can search Blue Collar Yields on Apple Podcasts.